This is Loose Leaf, a multi-author podcast journal where we talk about goals, the ups and downs of writing, and where we try to warn you off of our greatest pitfalls. Make sure you like our Facebook page at facebook.com backslash loose leaf podcast. We are also on Clubhouse. Just look for Loose Leaf Podcast. And if you need an invite to Clubhouse, follow us on Facebook and ask for one. We'll gladly send you one. Hi, welcome back to Loose Leaf Podcast. We are super excited to have Celeste with us here today. Yay! <laughs> it's this seriously doing author interviews and talking with people about writing is one of my favorite things. So I'm really excited to have you here today. Thank you. I love it too. Well, and I'm hoping you will talk a lot today. I'm going to get us started and I'm just going to give it to you. <laughs> a former teacher, I have no problems talking. Oh, wonderful. What what did you teach? What grades? I taught English and social studies. So for anybody who's not in the U.S., that's history, civics, government. Um, I taught high school, middle school. I subbed for a number of years when my kids were little. So pre-K through 12, I've seen it all. Oh, wow. (laughs) And subbing is hard. I've done that as well. And that is, that's a nerve wracking experience sometimes. (laughs) It is. It is not for the faint of heart, that is for sure. (laughs) I met Celeste uh, on Clubhouse. I don't even remember now. It was over a month ago. I don't even remember what I was listening to. And you had said something and I just went, oh, I need to contact her and see if she'll come on the podcast. So thank you for doing that. That's my new addiction. So I'm quite happy to connect with people. Thank you for reaching out. Well, I'm going to just read a little bit here on your bio from Amazon and then uh, we'll get right into our topic. Celeste is lives near Southern California. And what I really liked about her bio is she says that now that she lives near the beach, she's an avid swimmer. She's a hopeful future surfer, which I think is really cool. She's a former rower, which sounds like there's probably a good story behind that. And before becoming a full-time author, she was a social studies and English teacher. She holds degrees in international affairs. So you've got all these cool things listed here teaching secondary social science and political management. And she channels that knowledge into creating rich historical romances that bring the steam. So exciting there. Thank you. (laughs) And I saw that you had a new book come out in May and you have pre-orders up throughout the rest of the year. That is super exciting. I do. I I have a new release next month, then September and November. So it will be rounding out a series and that has, you know, been about two years in the, in the making or in the release. So I'm excited to have it getting close to the end. Yay. (laughs) So how did you get into writing from the teaching side? Um, You know, I had been an avid historical fiction reader since I was a little kid, and I was recovering from surgery a few years ago, and there were only so many episodes of The Big Bang Theory that I could (laughs) watch before I was like, I need something else to do. So I was just browsing through, you know, my online library catalog and you know, I don't even remember which book it was, but some cover struck my fancy. And I was like, all right, I'll give a historical romance a try. And <laughs> read one or two that were really more leaning towards fiction, but had the romance elements to it. And I read it and I was like, oh, look, 
there's this happily ever after, you know, there were some nail biting moments in there where I was like, are they going to get together? Are they not going to get together? And then they did. And so I was like, oh, this is, this feels good. I'm going to read another one. And there was a happily ever after. And I'm usually pretty quick on the uptake, but it probably took me like five or six books before I realized that that's a genre norm. And that there's always going to be a happily ever after, despite the, like, like I said, nail biting moments. Um, so around August of 2017, probably maybe three or four years after I'd started reading the genre, after I had consumed easily a thousand books, um, I was like, you know, I've taught composition. I've taught literature. I really like these stories. I'm going to give it a whirl. So I started writing and, you know, school started and it got pushed to the side and I was like, oh, whatever, I'll get around to it. And then in January, 2018, my husband's appendix ruptured and he spent two weeks in the hospital and I was driving up and down the freeway to go and see him just about every day. I was still going to work every day. I was shuttling kids back and forth. And so I just needed something when he came out of the hospital, fit as a fiddle, um, that was just mine, something cathartic, something that provided me with escapism beyond just the reading. And so I went back to the story and I finished it up. Um, I had no idea what I was doing as far as self-publishing it. I am usually a planner. I did not plan for this at all. I released the book and then went, well, maybe I should figure out what I'm doing now. Like, how am I going to get people to read this book? And so I sort of stumbled my way through, and that was April, 2018. And I released book two because I knew I had this set of stories that I wanted to tell. And between book two and book three, I started to learn the business side of things and I started to understand how to release a book, how to market a book um, and get proper covers because my first two covers were do it yourself. And I don't recommend that at all. Um, not at all. And so things just took off, you know, book three launched and all of a sudden I was, you know, at the top of category charts and I went back and got books one and two recovered and things just kind of went from there. And after a year and a half by December, 2019, my income as an author was comparable to my teaching income. And nice. I was just, yeah, I was just, I was in a really tough assignment at the time and it was, um, it was wearing me down. I love teaching. It's a vocation. It's a calling. Um, but that particular assignment was just rough on me. So when I realized, you know, I have a viable alternative, you know, I don't have to stay here. Um, you know, that's when I realized, you know, Hey, I could make this my full-time gig. And, you know, I had some other health concerns come up and I needed to have some surgeries, get a disc replaced in my neck. And so I knew I was going to be in and out, um, second semester last year. I had no way of knowing exactly how second semester last year was going to play out, but for the sake of consistency for my students, I felt like leaving then was good rather than being sort of in and out for a semester and them having substitute teachers. So as of January, 2020, I've been a full-time 
author and it's pretty darn awesome. It really is. I am so excited for you that you have done so much because I know you have like over 25 books out now and that's like two and a half years. Three, three and some change, but yeah. Yeah, that is wonderful. That's super exciting. There were so many things in there that make me excited. One, that you sat down and did it and then you were able to go back and learn the business because for a lot of us, that's kind of how we fall into it. We just give it a try and then we're like, hey, Maybe, maybe I can make this go. And uh, I know for me, I've been doing it a lot longer and I'm not having as much success because I have not learned the business side. I just kudos to you for doing that. Cause for some reason it doesn't work with my brain, <laughs> probably cause I'm not a math person <laughs> and you do at least have that background, but there's so many questions I want to ask and I'm not even sure where to start. I guess what's the first step you would suggest to authors who need to learn that business side? If, if, if it's, even possible to choose a one first step for some of us that get overwhelmed? Um, the first thing is to find some patience because it's going to take you a minute. Um, there are not very many authors that strike the gold mine with their very first book. And even if they do, they still had to have a first book. Um, so I would say do some research and um, find reputable sources where you can start to listen to experts. And some of them are free. Some of them do have expenses or costs associated with them. But there are a few that are well known in the self-publishing industry and they are reputable. They're well vetted. Uh, There are those who are going to promise you that they're going to make you a bestseller in a week. And (laughs) Um, generally speaking, that is some obscure Amazon category bestseller, whereas, um, somebody who's new to the industry might be thinking USA today or New York times, or, you know, an international equivalent to that. So be wary of that. Take a look at their social media presence and see how active they are, how engaged people are on their page. You know, what do they have in their group? And just kind of see from there, um, you know, this, the indie author publishing industry is very active. You know, I just did a presentation yesterday on romance and I was talking about self-publishing and it's roughly 75% of the publishing industry right now is indie. So know that there is a community out there that is rich in experience, rich in advice, but just take a moment to kind of do your research before you jump in, um, especially if you're going to get one of the paid courses. So there are ones that I would definitely recommend. And then there are some that I'm like, you might want to steer away from those. (laughs) Yeah. I know clubhouse has been wonderful for me because there are so many discussions going on. Um, They just had a, that writer's conference this last weekend and I didn't get to listen to most of it, but the two that I listened to have me doing some deep thoughts this week on, on kind of getting started with a stronger business side of why I write. And, um, and then of course, Joe Solari, I would recommend him to anybody doing his little cheat sheet of, of the money side. But I love that you said it's not going to happen in a week. I mean, realistically, I think we all know that, but we're all looking for that magic pill, that magic formula of, okay, now I'm making money. Now I can quit my job and just write. 
And I love that, that you said, you know, that's not how it works, even when you're doing it yourself. Yeah. I mean, the majority of people, like, unless you, unless you do go trad and you score an astronomical advance, which is not happening (laughs) that frequently anymore, it's going to take you a minute. You know, even if you do end up making a gazillion dollars off of one book, you still have to learn who to market it to, how to get it into retailers and how to get people to see it so that they buy it and you make those gazillion dollars. <laughs> um, and it, it does, it takes a little while and it's a process even leading into that to make sure that you're putting forth the best quality product that you can. Um, you know, I always say that writing is probably 30 or 40% of being an authorpreneur. And that's what I am. I am my own small business. And even if I were trad or traditionally published, that would still be the case because traditional publishers just are not offering the same supports, especially in their investment in paid advertising is not what it used to be. And so even trad authors are having to do a lot of legwork. So make sure you have that best possible product and that quality control is really on you, even if you're trad. Yeah, that is so true. Well, that's actually a good segue into what I invited you here to talk about. I'm just, I would love to just sit here and pick your brain Anytime. I did want to make sure we we got to spend some time about how we can make sure we're having that best possible product that we're putting out. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that um, you have all these topics that you like to talk about. And and the one we chose was the strong, was it story or character arcs? I can't, I'm so sorry. I I think they're linked. I think we said character, but they they are totally linked. Talk to us about the character and story arcs and how they're linked and how you think people can make them stronger. So, you know, we want to write diverse characters and that term diverse has a breadth of meaning. Um, You know, it could be, you know, um, race, it could be country of origin, it could be any challenges that they present, but you also want your characters to differ from one book to another. You don't want to write the same character over and over and over again. Um, Readers will get worn out and more than likely you'll get worn out writing the same character over and over again. So regardless of how you describe them as far as physical characteristics, you know, those emotional and mental and social characteristics you want to vary up. You know, there's only so many eye colors and so many hair colors to pick from. So those may get repeated, but you want to think about, you know, where is my character starting? What flaws do they have? What strengths do they have? And how do we parlay those two things into a story that might be 40,000, 100,000, 250,000 words, you know, depending on what your genre is, that's going to kind of give you some hints about length. Um, And so you want to make sure that you incorporate both of those things. You know, what are the strengths of your character? What's going to draw readers in? What's something that they are already going to feel comfortable with? And, and right now I'm talking mostly protagonists, you know, 
your antagonist may not have that many strengths and that's why they're the antagonist, but your protagonist, what strengths do they have? What makes them a character that either you're going to relate to or that you're going to champion on and kind of start there, but also think about their flaws and foibles and faults and where they start out with, with those, are those things that they can grow out of? Are those things that can eventually be leveraged as strengths? Are those things that they're going to have to learn how to live with because they can't fix it? Um, But any normal human being has both strengths and flaws. And when you're creating a character, assuming that you're writing about human beings, um, that's real life, even in fiction. So thinking about the character as though they are a real person, somebody that you could sit down and have a conversation with, and what would that be like, I think is sort of the jumping off point to creating rich characters. They need to be plausible. They need to seem like people that you would know. You might not like them. You might not want to be (laughs) around them all the time, but they are like somebody that you could see being real. Um, And I think from there, as your character develops and they go through the arc of, you know, starting out with those flaws and then going through a journey and then coming out the other side, when you're creating that dialogue, I think a lot of times people almost overthink it. They want to write the most fantastic dialogue that's scintillating and thought provoking and is just marvelous. Y'all, we do not speak that way all the time. Not everything we say is marvelous. Uh, So even if the character you are creating is nothing like you, I know that when I write, I try to think of myself as that character that I created. If I were that person, even if it's nothing like me now, if I were that person in that situation, with the other characters, and so they're real people, what would I say? How would I act? Um, You know, and I think, um, you know, we talk about actors in Hollywood who are very character driven and character immersive, and they become the person that they are, you know, acting out and portraying. There's that element to it as well. As an author, you know, you might be writing a villain, and you may not like the person that you are writing. But if you were that person, what would you say? How would you act? How would you accomplish the goals that you want? And think of that as a real person. And I think that that really can enrich your storytelling because it brings those characters to life. They're not two-dimensional. They're not stilted. They're not um, overly honed and made perfect. That there are faults to them. And so I think those are all key parts to it and know that your hero or your heroine, your protagonist, even if you write short novels or you write novellas, right? You know, you write 20,000 word books, there's still a journey within that. Even if it's brief, even if you're not going into heavy description or there's not a whole ton of actions. There's still a journey 
for those characters. And if you happen to write romance, there's a happily ever after, or at least a happy for now. If you write another genre, they might not have a happily ever after. They might not even be breathing by the end of your book, but there is still a journey that they go through. And you want to see that evolution. You want a character who's at least a little different by the end of the book than they were at the beginning. Because just like real living, breathing people, we do change with the experiences that we have, sometimes for the better, sometimes not so much for the better but we rarely go through life the same person for years upon years upon years. We change, um, even if those are just micro changes. And so acknowledging that and incorporating that into your characters gives them their own story arc within the more macro book story arc. Um, So I think those are really key elements, but more than anything, that trying to personify this inanimate object, basically, and sort of putting yourself into those shoes and thinking, if I were that person, as horrible or as wonderful <laughs> as they may be, how would I react to the situation that I created? What would I say if I was them? Um, rather than I have to come up with something super for this dialogue, those tend to be unnatural. Um, and they feel forced. So, you know, when you are able to think of your characters as a real human being, I think it flows much more easily that way. Yeah, I totally agree. The story will flow and I think readers will connect better because they'll feel that authenticity of those characters. I love that. And I love that you said, you know, they're going to change somehow, whether they become better or whether they become worse. That is, that is actually a, a character arc, even if you get worse and, and become a worse person. So that's yeah, fascinating. I love that. Thank you so much. I was trying to sit here and, and, and take some, some notes as you were talking. And I love that you said, you know, because we're all, we all have strengths, strengths and weaknesses that making sure our characters have that does help draw our readers in. Um, I know sometimes it's really easy to write a story and you can have everything in there right, but it just feels flat. And I think it comes down to your characters and whether they have that well-rounded personality. Mm -hmm. And I loved your definition of diversity because diversity is really a big thing. And and sometimes we just focus on the, the one side or the other, and maybe we're just focusing on making sure we don't have all the same, um, stereotypes in each of our books. And sometimes we're focused on, you know, well, I have to put these certain people in, in order to be inclusive, but maybe we get it wrong. So I think, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of times we just need to think about creating real people. (laughs) And then, you know, I don't even know how to say what I'm trying to get at. Um, I think, cause we're always, so. No, I think I get you. You know, the the idea that you want to create characters who are plausible. And, you know, as a teacher, an English teacher, I would teach about multi-meaning words. And <laughs> that's diverse or diversity is a multiple meaning words. It has many, many layers to it. And so you want to create that, whether it is, you know, culturally, racially, um, 
physical abilities, challenges, whatever that may be. But you also want diversity across your books. Nobody wants to read the same character over and over again. And so, you know, there's a lot of different ways to define inclusivity as well. Um, So bearing that in mind, especially if you know you're going to write multiple books that you're not going to be a one and done or a one-off author, you know, even if you write only standalones as opposed to series, you want to have different people come into these stories because that's real life. You know, we are three-dimensional, not just physically, but in our, you know, um, character traits and things along those lines. I love that. I love that. And when you're saying that, you know, I'm thinking so many different ways because my brain doesn't seem to focus, but I love that because um, one of the approaches I've always taken is I create these characters and I make them like my best friends, you know, kind of that envisioning them as a real person. And then sometimes they end up, you know, their cultures can change, but I think at the base of it, you know, we all have the same emotions and, and they may take us different ways as we grow, but, but people are people. And mm-hmm. we have so many different kinds of friends and neighbors and people in our lives that it should be easy for us to not pick one and write about that one person the whole time. <laughs> should be, <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, I think that we all do a couple of things. I think we will default to what we know best, the type of person that we know best. Um, and so you have to stretch beyond that. I think that. I don't think there's anything wrong with also incorporating a little bit of you into your characters. I think it's slightly inevitable because who do you know best? You know yourself, even if you're not a very self-reflective person, you still know yourself best. Um, So I think that that is normal. So there may be some things that are slightly recurring, but it's what do you do around that or in addition to that, that really enriches your characters and makes them relatable to readers, whether again, it's relatable because it's somebody they like, they admire, they love, or somebody they can't stand somebody that they don't want to spend time with, but that type of character is integral to the story that you're writing. You don't want that character to be liked. Um, You know, in my Viking glory series, that's the only series where I really recommend readers read it in order. They can all be read as standalones, but there is um, an overarching plot and the entire series with uh, one villain who crosses over. And my goal was by the end of the series to have him be utterly despicable so that, you know, when I give him the justice he deserves, it doesn't seem outlandish that, you know, I, I, pick a pretty gruesome outcome for him, especially in a romance novel, Yeah, but you feel like, okay, even though this is gruesome, he got what he deserved because he (laughs) is just wretched. And then the last book in the series is actually a prequel and it tells the story of one of the sets of parents. And it goes back before these main characters were even alive. And it gives you the foundation for why all of these things transpired and why this guy was so wretched. And you see that he was that way from early on, that he 
some of it was circumstantial, but some of it was, he was a sociopath <laughs> by nature. Um, and so you, you develop these strong feelings for this character, even though they are not positive feelings. Um, <laughs> I'm hoping none of my readers identify with them. Uh, <laughs> I, I love but, that you said that because you want your reader, readers to have these strong emotional reactions to your characters. And I think it's funny you brought that up. I, I have, um, I have someone that's been talking to me and asking questions about character development. And he was a little concerned that the, the character he knew the best was the villain and uh, happens to be an alien. And there's all this crazy stuff. And I told him, I said, well, that's okay. Maybe the book is about the, you know, about this villain and not really your protagonist. Maybe your villain is your protagonist. And he's like, I don't think so. <laughs> so I was like, well, oh. <laughs> you know, you might know that character best because you have such a vivid imagination. Like, yeah, you might see elements of yourself in your characters. I think that's normal, yeah. but sometimes the very best characters you write are the ones that are purely fiction and imagination because you're starting from the very beginning with this person. There is no preconceived notion of who they are or what they have yeah. to be. They are entirely a product of your imagination. So who's going to know them best? You are. Yeah. You came <laughs> up with them. So maybe that person identifies with this character, but it's because it's so, um, so rooted in his own personal imagination. Yeah. And maybe because he was the first character for the story idea that he, that he had. And so mm -hmm. he's had more time to get to know that character better. And it's been fun watching him. He, he sends me little snippets of here's this new character and here's a little, a little vignette to where I'm getting to know her or him. And, and I'm super impressed. He's, he's going to go places when he gets his first book done. He's, he's learning the process and his, he's there. He just has to do it. <laughs> so I'm excited. Take that leap. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Okay. I do want to spend some time talking about your books and let you share with our readers, our readers, <laughs> our listeners. Yes, we are audio. The readers too. <laughs> Hopefully readers, right? We're always looking for readers. Where can they find you? Where can they find your books? Just tell us all about you, about Celeste. I'm an only child. You have just opened the floodgates. <laughs> <laughs> Go for it. I love it. <laughs> Uh, I mean, the easiest thing is to just Google me. Um, I come up, there's not really other um, very uh, visible Celeste Barkley. So the name does come up every once in a while, but if you Google me and it's me who comes up, you can find me on my website, CelesteBarkley.com. You can find me on social media. I am on Facebook. I am on Clubhouse. I do Instagram. Uh, with Twitter. Um, I'm not a huge fan of it because you have to do so much to keep up and be in people's, you know, quickly moving threads, but I'm there. Um, but you can also find me on Amazon and binge books and BookBub and Goodreads. But the, the stories that I write, and I always give the disclaimer, they are definitely adult content. They are <laughs> very steamy, um, historical romances. But the stories that I write, um, I think that there is a very, two very common themes in them. And I think that that again is a reflection. That's a little bit of me. Um, they tend to be quite heavy. Well, I don't want to say heavy. 
that sounds negative, but they have um, quite foundations in the concepts of loyalty and duty. Um, and so you will see that whether it's duty and loyalty to friends, family, um, to the position that they are in, to their partner, significant other, um, those are kind of backbone features. My very first series, you know, where I started out, my new nothing. That's the clan Sinclair. And that series is about four brothers and their wee baby sister. She's the feistiest of them all. Um, and that really is about family first. So I couldn't use the true Sinclair crest. Um, it's not at my, you know, my leisure to use it. So my um, graphic artist created something similar to the real one, but I changed the motto and I made it Prima Familia, family first. Um, and so that's sort of the overarching theme in that series and the various um, struggles that each sibling goes through as they sort of meet their soulmate, but the siblings play recurring roles in them. Um, you know, sometimes they, they bring the humor at the expense of the main character. Um, sometimes they are the shoulder that they lean upon, but it's a, a tightly knit, um, family and book six is the prequel. I like prequels. Yeah. It's the prequel that tells the story of their parents. And so you kind of have gotten to know these characters. And then at the end of the series, you read their parents' story and you're like, oh, that's why the, they are the way they are. Like I've gotten to know them and I like them. And now I see like, this is the model that they had growing up. Um, and so I, that's that series. Viking Glory, like I said, um, there's an overarching villain throughout that series, but the books can definitely be read as standalones. You could jump in somewhere um, and read it as a standalone, but you'll understand it better if you read them in order. And that series is about five friends. Um, two of them are siblings. One is a cousin. And then the other two are, you know, very close childhood friends. And they you know, have gone plundering and pillaging together. They're, they're Vikings, <laughs> but the story is very much about how their duty to their tribe drives them to protect the people who are, their safekeeping is entrusted to them and the people who trust them to keep them safe, how that drives them throughout this and why they are so tightly bonded to one another and how they have grown to rely on each other. And then the dynamic when somebody new is added into that mix and how things shift, but they find their equilibrium again. Um, so then I have a pirate series. That's definitely <laughs> my steamiest of all of mine that, you know, that's a, that's on the kinky side. But those, um, that series was actually only meant to start out as 
two books. Um, they were originally novellas that had gone into anthologies when they came out. I extended them, but then people started asking, well, what about the first mate for each of these? Is he going to get his own story? And I'm like, well, sure. Why not? So the first two heroes are cousins. And then the second two heroes are twins, but there's quite a bit of adventure in there. And, um, those books really explore a lot of a couple's inner dynamics and why people do gravitate to one another and what are they looking for in a partner. And while that might not be your style of relationship, I think that it speaks to the bigger concept of why people end up together and what is it that they are looking to give and take from a relationship along with a healthy dose of suspense and adventure. Um, you know, my pirates are, they're Scottish originally, Hebrideans, and then, you know, they go to Ireland, they go to England, they go to Greece and the Mediterranean. Um, none of my heroines are um, what you would call, um, you know, um, well, some of them are a little bit of a wallflower, but they are definitely, there's, there is a backbone of steel in there. It might take them a little while to realize they have it, or sometimes they come with it right out of the gate, um, but they are not retiring. Um, <laughs> and then my final series, which is the one that just had a book out last month, has a book out next month, is The Highland Ladies. And that series, um, I very purposefully when I started it, wanted to have a theme that had some type of social message or social justice message in it that I wanted to push myself a little bit beyond what I had been doing and really have, you know, even sometimes toe the line a little bit with some of these issues and make them a little bit more thought-provoking, even though I'm still providing the same entertainment and escapism as I always have. But, you know, my books tackle things like eating disorders and body dysmorphia, alcoholism, PTSD, um, neglectful families, um, you know, uh, anxiety, all those types of things that are not new constructs to us as human beings. They are still things that people have battled for centuries, but I put them in a historical context and, you know, I don't add in modern attributes to my characters. I don't add in modern, you know, verbiage to them. Right. It's very much truly rooted in the time period, the early 14th century. Um, but I show that, you know, these are not new things that we are battling. It would be nice if we could figure out how to solve them and move forward. <laughs> but, you know, when we don't learn from history, we're doomed to repeat it. So I think that that makes the characters even more relatable because that character may not be you, but it might be somebody you know, or it might've been you many years ago or where you see yourself heading. Um, but again, it's always very focused on, um, loyalty and trust and honor and finding your own dignity and finding people who respect that 
and want to be supportive of you despite what flaws you might have. And, you know, the hero or the heroine may have plenty of them (laughs) and they may not be entirely resolved by the end of the story, but they've met a partner who respects them for where they are. Um, so that's, those are my four series. They're all on Amazon. I am a Kindle unlimited author. Um, so you can find me there. Um, you can reach out to me through social media or my website and email me. I'm pretty responsive. I try to get back to people within 24 hours or so. I am trying to learn how to take weekends now that I'm self-employed. I don't always do so well with that, but I'm trying. So if you email me on a Friday or over the weekend, I may not get back to you until Monday or Tuesday, but I will. Um, I'm trying to set boundaries. That's a good thing. And you need that time for you to live your life. I do. We're getting kind of close to the end of our hour, but we could probably get together and talk about how you research because historical fiction, you know, you have to be right on with your research because people will call you on it. And I know that's a whole nother topic that, um, that, that we could talk about and we won't today. Sometimes they're right. And sometimes they're not, but they will come for you. (laughs) Yes, they will. That is so true. I love that you said that too, because sometimes, yeah, but if you've done your research, you can say, here it is. (laughs) Mm -hmm. But I loved while you were talking, kind of bringing us full circle. You talked about how you had that one series, the pirate series that you had planned two books and your readers came to you and said, well, what about this guy? And what about and you wrote those books. So you know your audience and you're giving them what they want. The Highland Ladies was only supposed to be 10, but it's going to be 15. Oh because my gosh. People are like, oh, is so-and-so going to get their story? And I was like, I hadn't planned on it, but I guess they are now. <laughs> but so. that's good business that one, you can enjoy the writing process, but you can still give your audience, your customers, what it is they want. So it's all connected in this big circle of being an, I like how you say authorpreneur. And that's yeah. something that, you know, so many of us have to get into our brains that. Yeah. I mean, even if it's a part-time job to you, if you write a book that you release that you want somebody other than you to read, <laughs> then you have to look at it as a job and look at it as a business. And it may only be part-time and that's fine. But you have to have that mindset or your books will collect dust out in the ether. Or you won't even finish them. True. (laughs) True. (laughs) Oh, Celeste, it has been so wonderful having you here today. Any last advice that you don't feel you've had a chance to talk about that you would like to give new experience, whatever stage they're at, authors or writers? Um, you know, like I said, at the beginning, patience and persistence, um, even if you do have that first book that skyrockets and takes off, then what, you know, uh, are you going to write another one? You know, that, that next one might not do as well, or you might be living up to a new set of external expectations, but, persistence. You know, this is not, um, a fly by night process, at least not if you want to do it legitimately. (laughs) So take the time to hone your craft and 
look at your market and do proper research, find covers that are going to appeal to your potential readers, get an editor, get an editor. (laughs) And, you know, even if, and understandably, you know, because I started out self-editing when I didn't have money coming in yet, I had the advantage of having been an English teacher, but there will never ever replace the value of having an outside set of eyes on your work, because what's rumbling around in your head makes perfect sense to you. I mean, it makes sense to other people. So get an editor and just create the best possible product that you can and go through the writing process steps, but also go through the book marketing process. Don't try and skip them. Some steps may work faster than others, but don't try and bypass them because you either will not get your book to the right readers. You won't meet readers expectations, or you'll invest a whole ton of money and get very little return. Or you might, you know, be a one hit wonder, you know, a flash in the pan where you do it right. And then you're unable to repeat that process. So, you know, know that there is um, an evolution to your story. There's an evolution to you as an authorpreneur and realize that you have to be persistent in this, even when it's most frustrating. You know, if I had stopped because those first two books, you know, didn't make me a million dollars, I would not be where I am now. Um, I persisted, even though I wasn't sure of what the outcome would be. So, and set realistic, achievable, measurable goals. You can have your big pie in the sky moments, but set yourself up for success. I love that. I think that is the perfect place to end. And all I'd like to add is for our listeners to keep writing or start writing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely.